Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. I'm just a florist. Got a small shop. Nothing special. Silly way to spend your life, I guess, fussing with a bunch of flowers. Sometimes I wish I was good at something else. I don't know, a doctor or a missionary, someone who really helps people. I do love flowers. I've always had an act for it. So I do my best to make them beautiful for people. But I know flowers can't change the world. I know I don't make much of a difference. I'm just a florist. This video speaks to many of us today. Many of us look at what we are doing and we think, shouldn't I be doing more? More than what I'm doing now, more than this. Shouldn't I have a greater impact than I have right now? I always thought I would accomplish more than what I am right now. You know, it was a thing if a person had a job not actually too long ago. It was an accomplishment. People were much less worried about what you did, but the fact that you were able to work, that you were able to do the best that you could to provide. The type of work and that we're doing now, all of a sudden, we look at our friends, we look at the people around us, and we're in this cycle of comparison, this cycle of, oh, they've got this, or they're doing that, and and look, look how great they look. Look at, look at everything they're doing. Look how much they're accomplishing. And I'm still in my pajamas just trying to get through a day. The really tough part of our lives of comparing ourselves to others. I met a young man uh, yesterday. He was a vi vibrant Vietnamese man. And uh, I last asked how long he'd been in the United States. And he said, five years. And I said, so? Do you like it? And he said, I can work here. I can work. And he was so excited about that. He was so excited that he could come to a place and he could work. I think sometimes we've lost that, the simplicity of life. That people are coming and they are fighting and they are illegally coming here for their families to be able to do the best that they absolutely can to be able to provide for their families. One simple thing that I've realized as a pastor is regardless of your status, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, man, woman, married or unmarried, is really when you get down to the nitty-gritty, we are all the same. Our fears may sit in different places. We might have different levels of anxiety depending on where we're at, but, but still, the uncertainty of the future is the same. 
Is everything going to be here tomorrow? Do I have enough? Are we going to be healthy enough? Am I doing everything that, that I'm supposed to do? Everybody needs to be loved. Everybody needs hope. Everybody needs connection. We equally need that. As separated as our lives may look on paper, we are the same here. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the apostles and many followers of Jesus made up the 120 people that were in this upper room. These were common people with common jobs, living regular lives. They washed clothes. They got sick. They raised their kids. They went to the market, found hobbies. They fell in love, got divorced, grieved the deaths of loved ones. Every one of the people in that upper room are dead. Alive with Christ, yes, but dead. Can I make them any more regular to you today? I know that might feel a little kind of shocking, but it's true. These are regular people like you, like me, common people working, doing the best that they can. The birth of a movement is a fulfilled promise from God to us, to regular people, people who realized their need for a Savior, realized that there is something so much more to life, that this something had to come from somewhere. We are told in all of the Gospels of the events that happened when Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to use the example in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn to from top to the bottom. From top to the bottom. It's like God took this curtain and ripped it. This curtain was what we see in the Old Testament, a separation from, in the holy of holies in, in the temple. This was seen as a separation between God his spirit, his presence, and man. No longer were the Jewish priests the only ones that were empowered by God to mediate between God and man. That was their job. That was their responsibility, to do the right sacrifices, to do all the things that God had commanded in the law to Moses. The Levites were the priests. They were the only ones that could be the priests and in their lineage. And all of a sudden, the veil, the curtain was torn when Christ had died. And the Holy Spirit was now out and among the earth. God's presence went from the holy of holies in the temple to the ends of the earth. And it went from only a few having access to all mankind having access to the presence and to the spirit of a living God. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 through 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man who? Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Galatians 3.20 Paul 
writes, because he knows this could be confusing to some, a mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. And I repeated this last week. I'm going to say it again. In the Scripture, we see God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each is fully God. There is one God. The common people, like the florist, you and I, have 24-hour access to the Holy Spirit instead of reliance on a priest entering the Holy of Holies for the nation, for the people. We have access to God through the mediator, Christ Jesus. Today we are talking about the birth of a movement. I am praying that God will reignite a passion in us, that we will take hold of what Christ has called us to by his Spirit, or maybe you need to hear for the very first time in your life that God has called you, that he has plans and purposes for your life. Are you willing to answer? Are you willing to respond to his spirit that is no longer behind the veil? This is the birth of the movement that changed the world, the course of history. And God will continue to use his church to be the hope of the world. Matthew 3, 11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the, with the Holy Spirit and fire. The birth of this movement was in the works a long time ago. Jesus stirred Jerusalem with healings, with answers to prophecies, and gathered followers like no one had before. The leaders thought they were in the clear when they successfully crucified Jesus, but now reports were coming that he was alive and showing up unannounced and uninvited to parties. Man, that's a good party trick when you can just show up. And he was good at it, and he was doing it. Now, for those of you who like a little bit more uh, Bible here, here's a, just a little bit before we, we start reading. The book of Luke is believed to have been written by, makes sense, Luke, right? Potentially the only book in the Bible written by a Gentile or a non-Jew. He was well-educated. He was a doctor we see in Colossians, which in that day and age, doctors traveled. So they're moving around all the time. Somewhere along this journey, they came, he came in contact with Peter and Paul. And through this, it makes sense that he became their companion, their traveling companion, going through because he could do work. We knew Paul was a tent maker. He preached, he did things, and he worked with his hands. Common man, right? And he is working. They are working and they are doing ministry together. And Luke gives us the most detailed account in all of the Gospels. If you want detail upon detail, you read the book of Luke. Take a look at, this, at the flow of what ends up happening when you get to the book of Acts. We're going to read it in just a second. Luke is, by all accounts, believed to be the main author of Luke. And it is a continuation, and we're going to see that in just a second. Now, we know it was written before 72 AD because that's when the destruction of the Jewish temple happened. If that had happened, if they were writing this after 72 AD, every single account written in the New Testament would have mentioned it. This totally destroyed the Jewish way of thinking. This was their temple. This was their life. Every moment of their life was surrounded by this. What's the point? 
Think of it this way. Think of what you know about Alexander the Great, if anything. You go on, on Netflix or YouTube, you just put, pull up a documentary and, and you just write in Alexander the Great. You are going to get so many just coming down there. You could watch all day, maybe, maybe into the whole week, and look at all of this historical information on this great man who changed Rome, right? Do you know the earliest documents we have after that are 400 years after he lived? Think of that for a second. 400 years and historians and people look at this like, man, this is like, this is amazing. Look at all of this that we have. Let that sink in. Because we have the writings of Jesus starting within the first decade. And two, you look at Mark, which is believed to be the foundational gospel, the first one written, and the other gospels using some of that information. Why? Because Mark was with Jesus, written within 30 years of the death of Christ. That's before 60 AD in the first century. This is unheard of in the ancient world. And we have this information right here at our fingertips. Luke 24, starting in uh, verse, what did I put there? Did I start at 44 or 48? 48? All right. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and then they stayed continually at the temple praising God. That's how the book of Luke ends. And then we jump over to Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around them and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospels. Luke, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, gave detailed accounts of what was happening after the Holy Spirit came into the upper room. They are waiting. They were in an upper room, most likely the same upper room that the Last Supper had happened where Christ had broke the bread, and then the next day he was taken. This is the same room that he appeared himself and potentially revealed himself to Thomas. They were waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. What prophecy are we talking about? Now when you go back into the Old Testament, I have that for you, Joel 2, 28 and 29. Well, well before Jesus or Mary, or Joseph, 
And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women. So that's class system right there. It doesn't matter. Men, women, servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. These are these days. These disciples, they were waiting for it. These regular Joes and Janes, or are they Janes? I don't know. They, they were waiting. They were waiting for this promise. And you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking it was, it was the, a time of holiday for them. Because you know what? The 120 would have had to be at work. I was, I was sitting there kind of laughing myself. I wonder if any of them tried to get like a, they were trying to, oh, I'm sick. I need to have three, three days left for the rest of the year for my PTO time, you know, so could I just, you know. No, it was a holiday. They could actually be there. And then this, this is really, um, this is, I don't know why things like this stand out to me, but it's, it's kind of an obscure little portion in, in Acts chapter 1. They, the leadership, mainly Peter in this situation, decides that they should fill an opening. They have a job opening. Judas betrayed Jesus, and shortly after, he took his own life. <clears throat> As they're sitting and waiting, why not a time to do some business, right? So we learn that at this time, they say, okay, we need to fill this spot. So what should we do? He decides, or they decide, however the conversation went, um, and rightfully so, they said, we need to have somebody who's been here since the very beginning, who was with Jesus, and were throughout all of the miracles, and they can come and testify. And so that's, that's what we have. And so um, it says they believed it was necessary to fill the place that Judas left open. So Acts one twenty one says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who had been there with us the whole time and went out among us. Why is this important? God directs us by his spirit. He impresses things on us. However, he also gives us a mind to think. There is no prophecy. There is no directive. When Jesus was going up to heaven saying, don't forget to replace the last 12. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. So what if, what if they said, you know, Peter, that's a good idea, but Jesus elected us, and Jesus isn't here, so I think we should just chill. And you know, if that's what the group would have decided, I believe that would have been Okay. Because you know who they elected? They elected a guy named Matthias. Do you know the first time and the last time you hear of him? When he was elected in Acts chapter 1. Does that mean anything? No. I think that what this is just, this is what it says to me. So this is how I took it in my own devotional time. So maybe this will be for you. Maybe this is just a me thing. I don't know. But this is telling me that the Lord gives us this thing, and some believe it to be called a nitroglycerin, this thing called free will. 
that God has given us wisdom. He has given us his spirit to be able to make decisions. And they thought it best to make a decision. And I read this and I was so encouraged. And then it also took some pressure off of me saying, man, so many times we look at big decisions and we're like, oh God, we need an answer. Oh God, we need an answer. And then we're just stressing and then weeks go by and months go by and we're like freaking out. Lord, I just, you know what? Make a decision. You know what? If you feel like you need to talk to somebody and gain some more wisdom, do it. You know what it says that they did? They prayed. They gave them lots and won one. That's it. Done. Okay, we can move on. Let's go do ministry now. No stress, no worry. What if we could live our lives like that, thinking that not everything has to be a word from God? Hey, God gave us a mind. He's speaking in us, and I believe enough that if I'm not supposed to do something, I'm going to get a check in my spirit that says, you know what, maybe you should avoid that. Can we trust God enough like they did? I mean, good grief. In, in February, February 24th or 5th, the last Sunday of the month, you can mark your calendars. That's our annual business meeting. We're going to be electing some new board members. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have people. They're going to go talk to other people, see if they're able to, that are members in our church, people that have been vetted. And then you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray, and we're going to elect more board members. And that, that's what we're going to do. And it's very similar to what they were doing here. They were maybe showing us how to elect board members. I don't know. Paul, can you look into that? See if that's the right. <laughs> we need to get some lots, I think. Cut some straws. Anyone? Can we get a vote? No, just kidding. <laughs> if they hadn't gone that way, that would be totally okay. And that's very freeing to me. So I don't know if that's good for anyone else, but it was, it was good for me. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. These 120 people were being obedient. They were being patient. And they were together. This is a sign of solidarity, of, of unity. You know, in this place right now, do you know that we have Republicans sitting next to Democrats, sitting next to Independents? And then they are potentially sitting next to politically agnostics. They don't turn on the news. They don't click on any news sites. They don't listen to talk radio. Nothing. They don't care. And you know what? You are sitting next to each other. You know why? Because you, just like them, and I can't, we have no time to go into this, but they held different political beliefs here. They came from different backgrounds. Okay? And they came under the same assumption and the same thing, knowing we are here for something, for this movement that God is going to show up. And this is the Messiah that has been prophesied for for generations, and it has come, and I get to be here for it. And we, as a church, need to look at just the first couple words in chapter 2, that they were there together in one place. Why? Because our eyes are on Christ our Lord. Period. Suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly. a sound like a, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all the, the, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us can hear our own native language? These people who were there accused these 120 people of being drunk early in the morning. Then Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, addressed the crowd Preach to them, and then listen to their responses. Their responses were, what should we do? This right here is the response that I believe is like a response of revival. Where God is moving. God is doing something, and like I explained last week, it's like a, a dam being ready to burst. It's like the gate's about ready to be pushed open and we, we can feel it in our souls and we can feel it in our hearts and in our minds that God is, is about to do something. And then our response is, God, what do we do? What do we, what do, we, what do, we do with this? Acts 1, they are being obedient in solidarity, together, in unity, in one voice, doing some church business, probably playing some games, praying together, eating together. And then what happens? What do we do? God shows up. God shows up. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And then Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for all people. The fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, which we read about just a little bit ago. Now, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there, there are a whole lot of different uh, mindsets and thinking that people have when they think of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we had somebody in our church um, a couple weeks ago, and they don't attend here. We were just talking a little bit, and, and um, she had swore. And um, she said, oh, man, I swore in that side of the building. And she goes, I was just convinced the Holy Spirits were going to come get me. She's from the South, so I tried to, was, how was it, Alan? Is that okay? The Holy Spirits were going to come get me. And I thought about correcting her, saying God is one, Okay. But this shows the confusion that people have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one. The Holy Spirit works in unity. The Holy Spirit is not out to get you. Now, the Holy Spirit may convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit may empower you. And let me, let me give you an example. And this is the, the purest example that I have of maybe the first time in my life where I, where I realized that that was not me. Uh, I was at work. Um, for those of you who don't know, Jane and I met in the restaurant business. We spent many years working as servers and in, as managers and different things. And uh, we're good. Man, we're good. You should have seen us. Man, 
<laughs> and there was a guy who had been working at, at the host stand and uh, just, you know, said, hey, how's it going? I hadn't seen you around. And, and he said, he said he went on a missions trip and I got super excited. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know many Christians in this place. And so I said, tell me about it. And then I, I found out that he was in the Baha'i faith. And I was like, Baha'i? At that point in my life, I'd never heard of Baha'i. And I was like, what? And he goes, it's kind of like Christianity. And as soon as he said that, now, at that time in my life, I, I would speak up, but I, I mean, I was, I was, you know, just, I was a very careful Christian, very sensitive, and out of my spirit, and this is in the, we're, I mean, we're in the restaurant, we're on, and I said, it is nothing like Christianity. And I said that there is no other name besides the name of Jesus Christ. And I quoted the verses that went along with it. And he was shocked, and I was shocked. And I, I never saw him there again. <laughs> I wasn't mean, but let me tell you something. I recognize that now as the Holy Spirit coming out of me that responded so quickly with scriptures that I hadn't been thinking about. And it was just done at that very moment. The Holy Spirit, it says, will come in power to be my witnesses, friends. So many of us worry, and, and unfortunately, some of us have been shamed by other people's giftings. I don't know if, you, if you've been in the church, you can, if you haven't been in the church, you won't be able to relate to this, so just ignore me for a second. For people in the church world that have heard lots of speakers throughout the years, somebody will come up with a gift of evangelism or a prophetic ministry or of healing, and they'll come up and they'll pretty much guilt you and saying, this is how you should be doing it because this is my gifting. And then we're sitting here going, I, I can barely talk to the cashier. I'm just trying to get out of here without anyone talking to me. And now you're, and so then we have this shame and this guilt resting on us because we're not good enough. Again, why are we shaming each other? God came upon me in a way that on my own strength, I can promise you, I would not have done. And when the time comes, and when you're sharing, or when you're just talking to somebody, and all of a sudden something rises up in you, and you're able to speak in truth in love, and share the hope and the faith that Christ has put in you, that's the Holy Spirit empowering you to witness. And you know what? It may not sound great. You may walk out going, that was the stupidest thing I've ever said. But you know what? That's okay. That is okay. God is empowering us by his spirit. Now, if you are scared to death, God is not going to make you do something that is going to freak you out. Okay? He's not going to take you and force you to now go out of life assembly and be drunk in the Spirit. Like they said, they thought everyone was drunk in the Spirit. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Acts 1. Preparation. Equipping. The disciples were waiting. There was anticipation of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The advocate. The comforter. These are names given to the Holy Spirit. Acts 2. The Holy Spirit arrives. From God. The gates have been released. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The disciples have now been 
empowered by God. So many of us are trying to do the work of God in our own strength. When's the last time that you have asked the Holy Spirit to come alongside you as you're going to work? Now, let me tell you what I used to do at work. Now you're going to think how messed up I am. <laughs> I, I used to just walk around and pray during slow periods at work. And in the restaurant business, I was like, well, what do, I, what do I got here? Okay, I've got these people, I've got these people. And I used to take table oil, and I used to put it on my fingers. And I would go start anointing people with oil. Oh, I would say, excuse me. I would start anointing. I'm praying in the Spirit for him. Oh, pardon me. And they're like, what, what is he doing? And I'm like, I'm like looking at him. I'm like, all right, you're good. You're good. And I, why? <laughs> Some of you are like, you get, you're, you're messed up. Okay, you know what I was doing? I had faith that God wanted to do something, and I wanted to be a part of it. I was, I was willing to just kind of see what God wanted to do in my workplace. Sometimes conversations got a little heated, and I would say, you know, maybe we should go to Caribou after work, and maybe we should not have this anymore right here. What has God put in our hands to be able to do to the best of our ability. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So now these guys are in Corinth. They had heard of Jesus' death. They accepted him as the Messiah, and they're preaching about it. They're doing what they should do. And they said, Holy Spirit, no, we, we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. So that means the baptism of the remission of sins. And Paul said, John's baptism was of repentance. He told them to believe in the one coming after them, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. The Holy Spirit is for today. The Holy Spirit is moving today. The Holy Spirit empowers us today. The Holy Spirit makes us witnesses today. And you know what? He does it for the regular person. I, I kept writing when I was preparing, common person, regular person, regular Joe, because that just makes me fired up and excited. Man, one of my favorite stories as pastoring here is when I hear of people reaching out to their friends, and I get a, an email or something saying, would you pray for this person? I've had an opportunity, a door open to be able to talk about Christ to be able to pray for that. I was able to pray with this person for the first time. God is doing something. I get so excited because people are recognizing their identity in Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.